and I'm going to read the passage from my husband, and it is 1 Peter chapter 4, and I'm reading from verse 7. 1 Peter 4, 7. But the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Who knows what's going on in the world, the Christian world at the moment? Yeah? What's happening? <laughs> well, the, uh, that may be so, but the, there is a world evangelism conference going on in Amsterdam where I was going to go, but I love this church too much to be there. <laughs> so, uh, but there's over 10,000 evangelists gathered together and I saw something the other day online where uh, a starting gun was fired. And they believe uh, evangelists are being released to freshly run the race so that by 2033, the whole world will be reached so Christ can come again. Isn't that wonderful? Because it's called the Great Commission. It's the Great Commission. And uh, doing church is wonderful, but it's just so... It's exciting to hear what God is doing, what God is planning. And uh, it, that excited me. I hope it excites you anyway. I'm an evangelist, so I get uh, very stirred by those things. But we all should be, we should, all should be, if you're not an evangelist, we should be committed. Because Jesus said, go into all the world and take this gospel. And we can't all physically go, but we should be all interested in evangelizing nations through prayer or giving or speaking because the nations are so important to Jesus. That is not what I'm going to preach on today, but I wanted to speak about it anyway. Also, I wanted to say we have a healing meeting on Friday night and healing meetings are not about healing. They are about evangelism as well. Bible said if we preach the gospel, signs and wonders, deliverance and healers will follow. At healing meetings, we don't heal. We preach the gospel and let God heal. So if you've got someone who's unsaved, you know anyone who's unsaved, the event to bring them to is the healing meeting because we don't preach healing. We preach the gospel and let the healer heal. So that's this Friday night, and I think it's going to be a wonderful meeting. Uh, last week, I preached about um, from the book of Haggai, and... Uh, the, the book is about priorities, how, how easily we can, you know, you just think you've got a, a board there and there's God, uh, you know, all the other important things in your life, family, work, kids, you know, leisure, and how 
quite easily it is to just get the, that list mixed up so God becomes, instead of number one, he becomes number two or number three. You still love God. but And then the passage is all about when God is not first, there's a consequences. And, and Habai comes to a people who have relegated the work of God down to second and third, and they're suffering for it. And uh, God's blowing away their blessings, basically. And Haggai comes and says, consider your ways. And what he says in the end, he says, stop doing what you're doing, but get back to focusing on God's house, building God's house, building the temple. And he says, go up the mountain, which is a place of prayer, and bring wood to the temple. And he says, bring wood so that God may take pleasure in it and be glorified. And I mentioned how bringing wood was not about spiritual wood today because we're not building a physical temple. We are building the kingdom of God. We are building God's people all around the world. That's what we're doing today. We are building up the church, the body of Christ. When we go to, to do an outreach, when we go to nations, what we're doing, we are building up the body of Christ all around the world. And... Uh, in order to build it, you know, these people had to bring wood from the mountain. And I said how wood is, is not representative today of physical wood because we're not building a physical temple. Wood is representative of the spiritual gifts. In order to build the body of Christ, what is needed is for people to bring something. And what they need to bring for the kingdom of God and the body of Christ to be built, is their gift. And I want to speak about today bringing, bringing and using your gift. Because it's very, very important. The passage Michelle just read, my wife just read, was uh, from 1 Peter. And uh, it speaks about how each one has received a gift. And Ephesians speaks about the same principle it says there are, it's not just some people that received a gift. It says for each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. And he goes on to lift some of those gifts. He, he speaks about the gifts of the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist. These are gifts to the church, pastors and teachers. And then when we move on to uh, the book of Romans, we see more of these gifts that Christ gives to the church listed. It goes on to speak about in 1 Corinthians sorry, 12, it lists three, three lots of three gifts. It speaks about uh, the gifts of prophecy, the gifts of speaking in tongues, a gift of interpretation. They are speaking gifts. And it speaks about uh, wisdom gifts, uh, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discerning of spirits. And then it speaks about power gifts, the gifts of healing and the gifts of miracles. And uh, Romans 12 adds some more, which are, which are less supernatural. They're more temporal. And it speaks about the gift of uh, prophecy, the gift of ministry, ministering to each other, the gift of teaching, the gift of exhorting, that means encouraging people, the gift of giving, giving money, the gift of leading, that means, uh, you know, if you're someone who can organize things and get things together and lead, uh, or maybe show mercy, that just means you're a compassionate people, you feel people's pain. All these are gifts that Christ has given 
to the body of, of Christ. And if you're sitting here now, you have been given a gift from Christ. The Holy Spirit has imparted you a gift, whether it be temporal, whether it be spiritual, whether it be ordinary, whether it be extraordinary. God has given you something. Turn around and say to someone, God has blessed you with a gift. And what is needed in the body today, most desperately, I believe, particularly in a Pentecostal church, are the spiritual gifts. You know how you receive a gift like word of knowledge or prophecy or miracles or healing? Those gifts is a key. It's not hard. God wants to give them, but he doesn't give them out cheaply. The Bible says, eagerly desire them. They just, just don't come. You've actually got to covet and say to God. It's the only thing that you're actually allowed to covet in the scriptures is God's gifts. Not for yourself, but to build the kingdom. And you must eagerly desire those gifts if you want them. But not everybody has those gifts, but everybody has a gift. And you know how you discover what gift you have? You examine what the Bible says. And I don't personally believe this list is exhaustive. Some people do. I don't believe it is. I believe God can give you a gift of whatever. Uh, you know, haven't you ever noticed some people like, let me just say, I could... I could try to build a, a handle on a door uh, and you could give me all the tools and give me all the timber and I tried to do this when I was at school and uh, it was a subject called woodwork. And, um, and when I used to hand my work in, the teacher used to just laugh. It just doesn't look anything like the handle and yet my friend, Carl, he, he was like the, the tools were like an extension of his arm. And that, we think everything's got to be super spiritual. He just had a gift. The gifts mean charisma, and it just means God has added something that's not natural. God has added a grace to do something that is just not natural. And so you have been given that sort of charismatic or it just means something plus gift that God has given you. And you know, there is a number of passages in the scripture. Uh, we can look at Matthew 25. We'll look at this a bit later. We can look at Luke chapter 19. And you can see this in, uh, in 1 Peter here. And basically it says that in God's house or God's kingdom, there are variously talented stewards. Not everybody has the same favor, not everybody has the same grace, not everybody has the same gift. But they're variously talented stewards in uh, God's house. And God gives to these stewards uh, money to administer. And they are given, the, the, uh, Matthew calls them talents and, and uh, Luke calls them minors. And they're given these these, this money to administer. And the, the, the house and the stewards are you and I. And, and the money represents God's grace. The currency in the house of God, that's what it tells you, is actually grace. And, um, 
And when we're given these various talents and gifts, uh, these, we, we, we actually, God expects us to steward them and to disperse what we've been given to the house. And, uh, and the Bible teaches us uh, there is an accountability in being a steward of God's grace. But let me say that I believe the most supreme gift of life is to discover your God-given abilities or talents and then to pour yourself out using that gift or grace for others, particularly in the church. I believe that is the supreme gift of life. The supreme gift of life is not knowing what you want and how to get it. It's knowing what you've been given and how to give it. That is the most supreme gift God can give you. I spent years figuring out who I was because I'm a slow learner. But I realized God had given me the gift of the gab and he gave me the gift to win souls. And that's what I do. That's, the, that's what I do. And I, and, and I don't have to do what Luke does. I don't have to do what anybody else does. I just know who I am. I know my shape. And, you know, the, the greatest thing a person can do is to use that gift. There is no greater experience than to use what God has given you for others. So you've got to, you've got to know your shape. And if you, you know, I always say, you know, you, 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 you look at the list, examine it. Uh, then um, evaluate yourself and ask others. I think you just start doing stuff and see what people affirm in your life. And sooner or later, you'll figure it out and other people will figure you out. You don't just go and say, I've got this gift. Other people have got to affirm that. And experiment. If you, if, you, if you think you're an evangelist or you think you're a teacher, start doing it and see if it's effective. See if you feel, see if you feel good doing it. And the passage here speaks about gifts and the manifest grace of God. Each one has received a gift and then speaks about administered to one another as good stewards of the manifest grace of God. A gift is part of God's grace. You don't earn it. God gives it to you. He gives it to you. He gives it to you. And it's part of God's grace. But what we have to be knowledgeable of in this day and age, Paul, Paul speaks about, he, he writes to the Corinthians, and he speaks about it in his own life. And he says in 1 Corinthians 6 verse 1, he says, uh, it's 2 Corinthians 6, verse 1, sorry. It's 2 Corinthians 6, verse 1. He says, when we then, as workers together with him, also pleased with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. And then he writes about his own ministry later on. And he says... I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice and surface of your faith. 
So he, he, he writes those passages and it actually tells us it's a warning. Paul goes, be careful that you don't receive the grace in vain. And he says, I didn't because I not only receive it, but I labored in it. And, and the, 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 you know, I've spent a lot of time in church over my life and I've been in churches where they have a 10-week course on the gifts and we study all the gifts and we identify all the gifts. But the important thing about the gifts, uh, Paul says, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given, let us use them. If prophesy, let us prophesy, or ministry, let us use it. Twice he says, let us use it. And I believe one of the great weaknesses of all the church in the Western world, and probably even more in, in the whole church today, is that the way we've structured the church is that in many, many places, one or two people are prominent, the worship leader, the pastor, whatever, and a lot of people are passive. And I saw this, <laughs> I saw this cartoon recently, and it just reminded me of the church. And it was this guy who'd, uh, I, I think it was a real picture, but it was this football player who'd got all dressed up, and he had all the gear on. He was an American football player. He had the shoulder pads, and he had the helmet, and he had the mouth guard on. And he ran out on the field, and then went and sat in the grandstand and became a spectator. Be careful. Be careful of allowing that to happen in your own life. Be careful of receiving the grace and the gift in vain. Be careful. Why do I say that? It's because the scriptures, Jesus gave severe warnings about not using what he gave you. Uh, and, and I'm not doing anything else here other than going to read you the scriptures that he said about this. And they're in Matthew 25 and Luke chapter 19. And in Matthew 25, uh, I won't read the whole parable, but there's a parable about a man from the kingdom of heaven. He's going to a far away country and he's given goods to his servants. And to one he gives five talents, the other gives two to each one according to his own ability, and the other got one. And when he came back, the five talents, the guy traded with them, and he made another five. And he who had received two, he made another two. But the guy who received one uh, dug it in the ground. And then the, the, the master comes back, and there's a reckoning. And he who receives five brought his other five to the Lord and says, you delivered me five. Look, I've gained five more talents by trading. That means he put it to work. And his Lord said, in well done, good and faithful servant. You're faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many. And the same principle you find in Luke chapter 19. They're not given five talents and two talents. In this case, they're all given one minor. Ten people are given one minor. And uh, one guy comes in, he says, you gave me the one minor, I, may, I turned it into ten. Another guy came, and, and Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. And he says, uh, you who are faithful in very little have authority over ten cities. 
And in Matthew 25, he says, not only will you be ruler and have authorities over into 10 cities, but because you've done this, you now enter into the joy of the Lord. But the one who, was, uh, who, who received one talent, he came and he wasn't commended by Jesus. Jesus actually came and he was in both parables, he was very harsh on the guy who did not develop, did not use, did not invest in the gift he was given. And this is, this is the word of Jesus. It's not my word. And he says, the guy comes and he says, um, who's only received one, he said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and hid your talent in the ground. Look, here, have what's yours. And the Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seeds, so you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers and my coming I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to one who has ten talents. For everyone who has, more will be given and he will have an abundance. From he who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's harsh. If you think that's harsh, at the end of chapter 19, uh, or the parable in 19 begins with people saying, we won't let the, the Lord rule over us. And when he comes back, he says, those who didn't want me to reign over them, bring them out and slay them before me. There goes your meek and mild Jesus. He's gone. So these parables both teach us a number of things. It teaches us again that your gift can't be earned. It's given. The master comes and he gives talents and he gives talents and he gives minors to his servants. We are saved servants of Christ the King. And he's going away, and when he comes back, there is going to be a reckoning of what you did with what he gave you. And, and see, the ones who, in this parable, there's a principle, and I've preached this many times, there is a very powerful principle in the kingdom. If you have been given the gift of mercy, I mean, just you're compassionate to people, you want to help them, you want to stop them being, or if you have been given the, the gift of hospitality, doesn't mean having like-minded dillard parties. It means bringing people who are broken and helping them recover like the Good Samaritan at your expense. Or you've got the gift of giving and you, you, just, you, you, you are able to make money. You want to give it to the kingdom and you just want to give to the kingdom. You want to expand. You've got a generous nature. God's given that to you. Or maybe you're a teacher. You, you know how you, you just love delving into the Word of God. If you just love reading commentaries and you want to know, delve deeper and deeper into the Scripture, you're being given the teaching gift. But this passage teaches us that what you've been given, what we've been given, we must use it, we must develop it. This, this guy, actually, it says he traded with it, which means he took risks, he ventured. I'm an evangelist. I started going out and doing just meetings up in parks and just that's called venturing. It's like, what, what am I going to do with this? What am I going to do? Just take it, do something creative. And the ones that used it, 
Here's the principle I was talking about. The kingdom principle is this. If God has given you that gift of mercy, that teaching, encouragement, use it and it increases. If you don't use it, you lose it. What the guy who had one talent and didn't use it from, when he came back, Jesus took what he had and he gave it to the guy who had ten. So if you use what you're given, it will increase. It will increase. The Lord will make it increase. Not only will it increase, he says uh, in the, the parable in Luke, he says, if you use what you're given. When Jesus came back, he said, uh, well done, good and faithful servant. Have authority over ten cities. You will know the authority of God upon your life. You will not only increase, you'll know the authority of God on your life. And then he says, enter into the joy of the Lord. Most joyful people on earth are people who know what they've got and how to give it. They're joyful. They're joyful. And it's like, it's like this. Joy in the Holy Spirit is a, joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was always spoken about in the scriptures, oil or water. If, if water flows, um, it's healthy. But if it doesn't, it becomes stagnant and putrid. That's like the Holy Spirit in our life. Unless we're actually giving out the joy and that it all just becomes putrid. Doesn't, you just, we don't experience it. But Jesus said, uh, if you use it, it'll increase. If you use it, you'll know my authority. If you use it, you'll experience my joy. But if you don't, you'll lose it. Why did the guy not use what he'd been given? There he goes, verse 25, I was afraid. Your motivation as a Christian has to be love, not fear. It has to be love and not fear. This guy, he had fear. He was motivated by fear. Secondly, and I find this incredible, Jesus says to him, you wicked and lazy servant. That's really interesting because we think in the scriptures, we would think like uh, drunkenness was wicked. The Bible never says drunkenness is wicked. It doesn't recommend it at all. But it actually says laziness is wicked. And we kind of think that, well, you know, nothing wrong with not doing too much. Jesus expects us to be fruitful. And he says, you lazy, you wicked and lazy servant. So you cannot use your gift. You can bury your gift through either fear. And the guy was fearful. He had the wrong kind of fear because he had the wrong understanding of who God was. He says, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man reaping where you have not sown. How did he know that? And is that true? It's not true. But he, because he was living in fear, if you're living in fear, you'll have all kind of wrong perceptions. And this guy had a wrong perception. He had the wrong type of fear of God. He was afraid of God. He had a wrong perception of God. And then th therefore, he didn't employ what he'd been given. And as I said, the second reason was simply laziness. So you have to be really, really careful that you employ and use what you've been given.
because you use it and it grows. You don't lose it. If you don't use it, you lose it. You know, there's a, there's a, I always think of when I speak about gifts, and I've preached on gifts many, many times. Uh, you know, God's grace and his, his, uh, his kind of, the breadth of his grace is extraordinary. And, and if you want to be used with God, God can make you fruitful simply by being available to him. And I, I, I think of the time in Exodus 4 where God comes to Moses and, and he says to Moses, I'm going to use you to be my deliverer and you're going to preach to be my deliverer. And so Moses goes and, and he meets God along the way, but he's not a real good speaker and he doesn't feel like he's really qualified. And, uh, and he's like, he basically just, he's making this excuse, he's making that excuse to God why he can't speak and how the people aren't going to accept me. And behind that was all the fear of man. And he says, I, I, I can't, I can't, I can't. And he goes, I can't, I can't, I can't speak. I just can't do what you're calling me to do. I'm not like, you know, other articulate people. I can't do it. And then he says, let another do it. That's one of the reasons why people don't use their gift. They, they think, I can't, but somebody else will do it. And you know how God answers this man? He says to Moses, he says, okay, you say you can't speak. And I'll let another, okay, I'll get another. So he gets Aaron. But he says to Moses, what is in your hand? In verse 2, you can read it later. He says, Moses, what is in your hand then? So you don't want to speak? What? And you know what's in his hand? What was in his hand was the most normal, the most unkind of spectacular thing you could have. What was it? It's a stick. It's a rod. And God says, okay, you don't want to use your voice. Well, okay, just use what you've got. A stick, something so normal, something so natural. And when he used simply what he had, that thing in his hand became the most supernaturally powerful thing in the history of humankind. Simply because it was used. It was used. And I just want to say to you, that I want to ask you a question today. Do you know what you've been given by God? And are you using it? Because God said in, 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 um, in both 1 Peter 4 and in Haggai, when people bring their wood or bring their gift into the house, God takes pleasure in his people when they use their gift. God takes pleasure in the house when people are using what they've been given. And when you use what you've been given, 1 Peter says you're glorifying God. You know, some of us, you know, we, we just, I just say, you got the gift of encouragement. And, 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 People sometimes don't use their gift because they think, well, it's not prophecy or it's not healing. That's a nonsense. 
We're all given different gifts, and the reason why people don't use them, they make comparisons to people who may have more spectacular gifts. If you get a more spectacular gift, you're going to be accountable to God for that. If you get the gift of encouragement, you're going to be accountable to God for that. And in the body, encouragement, I think, is one of the most needed gifts. Believe me, I'm a pastor, and I get discouraged all the time. But it is so needed. And if you're an encourager, what I want you to say is encourage and encourage and encourage and encourage because you will get more pleasure out of using your gift than anything else. Just encourage people. When I first started ministry, I didn't know what my gift was. So I started writing letters to people to encourage them. I felt so blessed by doing that because it's better to give than receive. It is better to give than receive. If your gift is given money, just give money and believe God that your business or whatever it is is going to become more and more profitable and profitable. Just do it and do it under the glory of God. But just use it. Just keep using what you've been given. Because if you do, it'll increase. If you do and you do it for the glory of God, it will increase. You know, I've always interested in this passage. It said, uh, Jesus said, you know, if you deposited my money with the bankers and at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. Jesus is saying to this guy who didn't use the, the, his talent, he says, at least you could have put it in the bank and made interest. People think all interest is wrong. Interest is only wrong when you're exploiting people. But he said, you just could have put it with the bankers and gave interest. And that's like, to me, that's, that's like if you're... If you don't know what your gift is, if you don't want to give, just make some interest. You know, interest, interest is like this. When I didn't know when my gift was early on, I, I just found out about this guy who was coming to Australia called Franklin Graham. He's Billy Graham's son. So I, I just went in and said to them, if you've got some flyers, I'll distribute them around the city. So I wasn't using my gift, but I was supporting his that's what interest is. I was just helping him out. But at least I was being productive. I was being productive. So these passages are, are really very, very important about, uh, they're a warning that, that we have all received a gift. We all receive grace and not to receive it. Not to receive the grace of God in vain. Not to bury your gift through being fearful that you're not good enough or fear of man or, or, or comparing yourself to other people or even being lazy. But actually discover what it is. What, God, what particular charisma you have got on your life. God's given you something that you can do. And like the carpentry Example I use, something that, that there's a natural ability, whether it be spiritual, there's a greater ability, whether it be spiritual or, or not spiritual. God has given you something that is useful and needed for building up the body of Christ. And it's imperative that you use it. If you do, you will discover God's authority You'll understand God's authority. You will be so joyful because it is better to give than receive. And not only that, when Christ returns, we're not going to be sitting on clouds. There's going to be ruling and reigning in the millennium. There are cities to be governed. 
And the faithful guy who'd used what he's given, Jesus said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. Have authority over 10 cities. Don't spiritualize that. They're going to be cities that are going to be governed in the millennium. Who is going to govern them? The ones who have been faithful stewards in this life. It's so important. You know, Paul, who was a faithful steward, he just used, you know, and he said, I, I think it's uh, in two, I don't know where I am, but it's, I think it's in Philippians. And towards the end, he said, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. His life was not about getting. He poured himself out for others. And then at the end of uh, 2 Timothy, he says the same thing. I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure is at hand. I fought the fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. So he received grace. He received the gift. And then he poured himself out for others. He poured himself out for those that needed salvation. He poured himself out to build the church. He poured himself out to teach. He poured himself out to rebuke. He poured himself out to exhort, to encourage, to heal. He used what God had given him. Now, that expression just captured me. And I, I just, I, I was fascinated by Paul's use of language that he, he associates receiving the gift he received the gift not in vain. He actually received the gift and he profited from it. He said, I, di I didn't receive the grace of God in vain, but I labored. And, and when, he, when he's saying that, he's saying, uh, I, I, um, I've been a good steward of what God's given me. And then he uses the expression, and I've been poured out. You know, you can be, you're like, you, you are like a cup. Of water. God has given you and He's filled you up with His grace. But until you start pouring up, He can't fill you with anything more. He can't fill you with any more revelation. He can't fill you with any more of His power, His knowledge, or His anointing. He cannot fill you up unless you pour out. Now, Go to, uh, I'm going to finish, yeah, early. I'm going to finish, but go to 2, two Kings 4. And this is, I, I saw this in a different way today. And this passage is about a, a woman uh, who, she was married to a prophet. And he was a good man, he was a faithful man. But he died, and maybe he wasn't real good in the home with the finances, because when he died, the creditor came to take his two sons to be slaves. That's how it works. That's how it still works in the brick pit. But they were coming to take his sons to be slaves. And so this woman went to Elijah, who was head of the prophetic school, where, his husband, where her husband used to minister. And she comes to Elijah and says, the creditor's coming to take away my sons. So Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. He said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons and pour out 
then pour it out into those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went in from him, shut the door behind her and her sons, brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Now when it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. She said, there is not another vessel, so the oil ceased. She came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. What's the point of the story? I always emphasized when I preach this that, that you know, the, the, the oil represents the Holy Spirit. And that, you know, when empty vessels are bought before God, who pours out the Spirit, that means humility, then God will continue to fill us. That is a truth there. But there's something else you've got to see here. There's something else you've got to see. The oil represents the anointing of God upon your life. You don't only want God in you, you want God upon you. You want the anointing, the Holy Spirit to be upon you. You want God in you, but also on you. Because he's, when he's on you, you are marked and people see it. People see the difference. They don't understand it, but they know there's something about you. But you need to have that anointing which is God's favor upon your life. And you know, uh, that oil represents the anointing. That oil represents the supernatural element and, and part of God upon your life. It's a supernatural. It represents supernatural increase. So the oil represents the supernatural Anointing of God. But it only flowed when it is poured out. The anointing only flows as it is poured. Do you want the anointing? You, the most precious thing in the world is the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon your life. But it only flows, it only manifests as it is poured. And God wants your life to have a supernatural dimension. But you need to be pouring. You and I need to be pouring into empty vessels. What does that mean? It means using your gift. Using your gift. As you pour into others, the anointing will come upon your life. So the question is, today, do you know what God's given you? What are you doing with it? Who are we pouring ourselves into? Because I'm telling you, this is something the Holy Spirit's showing to me. The era of coming to church and being passive is ending. God's shaking the church. He's changing the church. And what he is going to do. He's going to bring the house and build the house so that he is glorified, that he takes pleasure in it, and he can only take pleasure in a house and glorify it when every part, every member knows what they've been given and how to give it. What you've been given and how to give it. I believe that's a supreme gift of life. That is God's the supreme gift God can give you is to know what you've been given and how to pour yourself out by exercising your gifts for the body of Christ.
I, I, I had a laugh when I saw that picture. It was so funny. This guy with his shoulder pads on, his helmet on, his mouth guard in. He runs out in the pitch. He's got all the gear. He's received it. And he goes back in the stand and he sits down and he watches the game. It's funny, but I do know Christians that live like that. And we've allowed the church to become too much of a spectator sport. I, I, I know when I first started to evangelize, I know I was this effective. And I just persevered at it. But now I know the grace, this is not my ability, but the grace to evangelize has gone from here to here. Well, overseas, I just need to stand up and be me and people get saved. That's because I've used what I was given. That's all. That's Use it and it grows. If you don't use it, you lose it. That is the truth. If you use it, it grows. If you use it, you'll know God's authority. If you use it, you will enter into the Lord's joy. And if you use it, you will not receive the grace or the gift in vain. Amen. Enough preaching. We're going to finish there. But I really, I, I, this, is, this is really, even when as I prepared this week, I, I, I'd never really seen the connection between laziness and wickedness. And that really shook me. You know, because I've been lazy sometimes in my life. And I just felt so rebuked not to be anymore. And uh, do you know the grace you've been given? Do you know your special charisma? That something plus thing that you've got? Maybe cooking. Well, cooking's not just for you and your family. You can cook for people who are in hospital or whatever. You can, you can use it for the body of Christ. Is it exhorting? You know, exhorting is like patting someone on the back or saying, come on, you're doing a great job. You, we just love what you're doing. Just encourage. You've got no idea the power of encouragement and necessity of encouragement in the body of Christ. I just look around. I just know the most joyful people here are doing it. They're, doing, they're just doing it. They're, they're, they're using. If you're a musician, write songs. Develop that gift. Venture. Use it. Dream of ways of using it. Because I said, that is a supreme gift. It's not getting stuff. It's not knowing what you want and how to get it. It's knowing what you've been given. How to give it for the service of God. Amen. Let me pray. 
Father, I thank you that you are so generous, Lord, that you could have kept Jesus for yourself, but you didn't. You gave him. And you gave him as a gift. You poured, he poured his life out on that cross for us. And Father, uh, when your son ascended, he also gave gifts. And I just would ask that each and every person would not be afraid of the list, would not over-spiritualize it. But Father God, you would show them what their special ability is, whether it be spiritual or temporal. Father, you would reveal to them what that is. And that, Father, that they would use it for your glory. They would know the joy. They would know the joy of using it and laboring for you. And, Father, for this house particularly, I would ask, we say, we eagerly desire the gifts of the Holy Spirit the supernatural gifts to be in this house of healing and miracles and prophecy and words of knowledge, words of... Father, we are asking, we are saying, we eagerly desire those gifts in this house for one reason, Lord, that you may take pleasure in my life that our lives may bring you honor and glory as we use our gifts. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I, I really believe if you just say to God today, maybe some people here, you need to repent because you've put your gift in the rack. You need to take it out again. Holy Spirit was really speaking to me. I was speaking to Kevin this week and he reaffirmed it. I preached this last week on Haggai that you can, you can put your gift away through discouragement, whatever. But I tell you what, life is all about Jesus. It's all about Amen. serving him. It's all about being effective for him. That's where joy is found. And as I said, if you're an encourager, encourage and encourage and encourage and don't stop encouraging. If you're a teacher, teach and teach and teach and teach. Because the greatest thing in the world is serving Jesus and building the kingdom of God. Amen. Nothing else can compare it. The, 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 the enemy lies to us and says there's other things that are important. And nothing's really that important. His kingdom and building the body of Christ is the main game. Amen. And God does not want you to be that guy with the football helmet on in the stands any longer. But I know there are some people who've gone and sat up there. And if that's you, God wants to, just wants to activate you again today. He wants to activate you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you don't know your gift. Just trust God. Trust God and he will show you where he wants to use you. Then go and do it. Go and do it. So that you may really... Know and enter into the joy of the Lord. He's coming. Let me tell you, he's coming 
Not only is he coming, you know what's with him? His reward. To give to those according to their statement of faith? No. According to their works. That means how you use your gift. Going to be rewarded. Going to be ruling and reigning in the millennium because you're faithful. Those who are using it, I just want to be a cheerleader today. Keep going. Keep going. That cloud of witnesses says you're doing great, but keep going. 